Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And also, if you want you to put a mark or your finger in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. First, be reading John chapter 4 and verse 35. Our title tonight is a question that as we go through this, I want you to seriously consider and ask yourself, that is, will you answer the call to the harvest. John chapter 4 and verse 35 says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, already to harvest. And then Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. Luke 10 and verse 2, as he says, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, I do thank you for your goodness and this opportunity to preach your word. Lord, I pray that every single one of us here tonight would be seeking to hear from you. We're not just here because it's what we've been told we ought to do, but that because we want to hear from you. Pray that you prepare our hearts and you'd help me to bring the message that you've laid on my heart. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated, and thank you for standing. So we look at this, uh, and that question, will you answer the call to the harvest? Uh, first off, we know that wherever, the, uh, in order for there to be a harvest, seed must first have been sown. You don't get a harvest without sowing seeds. And Jesus indicated in regards to this harvest that there is a twofold danger. Uh, the first we see in John 4.35, and that is, uh, of us being short-sighted and thinking that there's plenty of time to bring in this harvest. Uh, he says, uh, say not ye, there are yet four months. The second we find in Luke 10 and verse 2, and that is that the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. The question then is, how are we going to meet this need or this challenge as it's been given to us? The first thing that we see tonight in Uh, John 4 and verse 35 is that we must lift up our eyes. Lift up your eyes. In John 4, 35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. And we lift up our eyes from uh, vain pursuits. Ecclesiastes chapter uh, 1 and verses 2 through 4 says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. Uh, We are given here a picture that we don't really like to dwell on, and nobody really maybe wants to fully accept, but one is that the world doesn't revolve around you. And the other is that because of that, when you live and you die, the world continues to go on without you. It's not something we really like to dwell on, but it is a truth. Uh, We've seen it throughout history. And as we look at this, and he's speaking of the vanity of vanities, the vanities of life here, the the emptiness of life, we know that in context he's speaking here of a life lived for the world. Uh, It's not a life lived for for the Lord. On the other hand, that is a very rewarding life, a very fulfilling life. But as we look at this idea of lifting up our eyes from our uh, vain pursuits, we need to lift up our eyes from that, that emptiness of life, or the emptiness of a life lived for the world, and pay attention to what God is calling our attention to. 
So the first thing then that we see in lifting up our eyes is we need to lift up our eyes from, uh, from our vain pursuits is from the vain pursuit of personal ambitions. First uh, Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 says, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And having been bought with this very high and dear and precious price, and uh, as uh, was discussed this morning, you know, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins, the highest price paid for anything ever. As we realize then, and those of us who have called on Christ as Savior, we've recognized our need of that. We then know that we've been bought with this very high and dear and precious price. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians, therefore glorify God. As a child of God, our highest priority should be that of glorifying Him. And we'll see later on then how how we can best glorify God in the world around us today. But as we look at this and the idea then of lifting up our eyes from our personal ambitions, we need to lift up our eyes from that self-seeking, that self-gratification, that, that idea of I want or I need this, to that of glorifying God, to making His, Him being preeminent in our lives the highest priority. Then we also need to lift up our eyes from the vain pursuit of wealth. And... Uh, Proverbs 23 and verse 4 says, Labor not to be rich, cease from, thine own underst- or cease from thine own wisdom. It doesn't say labor not, period. We are to labor. We're to work. But the reason or the cause for our laboring isn't just that we would gain riches unto ourselves. It basically says if that's your line of thinking, if you think you're just going to work and gain riches, cease from thine own wisdom because that's not true wisdom. It is folly. John chapter 6 and verse 20, just a couple chapters over from our main text in verse 27 uh, Jesus says, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. And then Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10, again, uh, the author speaking towards the vanities of this life, and he narrows in on this, this one thought here, that, that the vanity of this uh, pursuit of wealth, of the vain pursuit of wealth, that, uh, that, uh, that essentially the, the love of money. Here, which is a sinful, vain pursuit, if it's uh, put before God here. And, and so as he says in Ecclesiastes 5.10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Uh, and there we, we say silver here would be the, the financial side of wealth. And so he tells you very clearly, if that's your love, if silver, finance, money is your love, if that's your pursuit... No matter how much of it you gain, you will not be satisfied. And then he goes even further in it, as some of us may try to excuse ourselves in that and say, well, money's not my love, that's not my pursuit. Really, it's just a means to an end for me. And so he says, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. Nor he that loveth all the many things or one specific thing that this world has said, gain these things unto yourselves and ye shall find happiness. He says, these also will not bring satisfaction, they are vanity. It does not matter how much of it you can gain, no matter how much wealth you have accumulated, it brings no satisfaction. We need to be careful not to let wealth or the things that this world has placed value in to become our focus, because they will not bring satisfaction in the end. The only way for a child of God, or really the only way for anybody to have true satisfaction in this world, is through a life of service to the Lord. So then also, first we need to lift up our eyes from our vain pursuits, our, our sinful 
uh, pursuits that have no place in our lives, but also we need to lift up our eyes from the cares of this life. Uh, Luke 21 and verse 34 says, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. As we look at this, the cares of this life, essentially they're not sinful, they're not wrong things in and of themselves. They're the, um, and even some of these things God has called our attention to. The cares of this life are essentially our responsibilities that we've been given. And every one of us have responsibilities to our families for protection and supply of their needs and stuff like that. And However, we can never allow these responsibilities to become an excuse for us to not answer the call of God on our lives. I challenge you to uh, remember the accounts in Matthew chapter 8 and in Luke 9 as Jesus is standing there. And as he stands there, he's preaching and he's calling for disciples. He's calling for followers. As we look at it, he's calling for laborers in this harvest. And as he's calling for these disciples, there are many who come to him and they say, Lord... I'll follow you. I'll, I'll be one of your disciples, but suffer me first to do this. Or suffer me first to do that. They all had, as we look at them, they would be cares of this life that they were not willing to place into God's hands. We need to remember that God could take much better care of all of these responsibilities, even those that He has given to us, than we ever could. We'd be much better off if He has called you to do something, to give those things into His hands and trust Him and follow His will. So in looking at these, we need to lift up our eyes from the temporal to the eternal. Colossians 3 and verse 2, a very familiar verse. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And, uh, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18, a, a similar verse. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I've told this saying uh, my whole childhood, or at least as far back as I can remember, and that is, uh, live with eternity's values in view. Live with eternity's values in view. That is, uh, make your focus be on that which has value, not here on earth, but for eternity. And so as we look at this, the lifting up our eyes from the temporal, that, that here and now, that which... The, the world will try to distract us with, whether it be a sinful, vain pursuit, or it really just be a care of this life that is not sinful to give attention to, but is pulling our attention away from what God is calling us to do, uh, whatever it is. And Satan and the world will try to use those things to distract us from uh, God's call. And so uh, what, whatever one of those things it might be, we need to lift up our eyes from the, that temporal, the, the here and now, to what God is truly calling our attention too. So as we look at that, that brings us to our second point then. As we continue on in John 4.35, as he said, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. So secondly, we need to look on the fields. It's very key that we bring in this point. Otherwise, if all we do is that first part, is uh, he says, lift up your eyes, you look up, kind of glance around, and then very quickly your eyes and your attention are drawn back to the things that held it before. If we do this part, though, we, we lift up our eyes, we bring our focus in on the fields, on the harvest that Jesus has called our attention to here in this verse, we see that that harvest is great. 
There are over 7.8 billion people in the world. I'm going to give some statistics, some statistics here, if I can get the word out. I'm going to give you some statistics here. We'll try to run through them quickly here, but it gives us a picture, an idea of how much work there is still to be done in this world. And some of this information was gathered about 10 years ago, so some of it's outdated, but it still gives us an idea of what we're looking at. And in uh, in 1950, they say there were 100,000 missionaries around the world. 1950, 100,000 missionaries. Since 1950, we have lost 1,000 of that 100,000 a year. And only 50 missionaries take 1,000's place. In 2010, that 100,000 was down to approximately 29,000 missionaries worldwide. And that's various denominations. That's not just Baptists, let alone independent Baptists. There are only about 5,000 independent Baptist families serving on foreign fields. In the Americas, not counting the United States, the population is about 672 million people. There are 47 countries, 1,071 missionaries, Baptist missionaries, Seven of those 47 countries still without one Baptist missionary. In Africa, the population is about 1.2 billion uh, people. There are about 56 countries, or there are 56 countries, about 401 Baptist missionaries. Still 20 of those 56 countries without one. And in Asia, the Pacific region, there's a uh, population about 4.5 billion people, 43 countries, 565 Baptist missionaries, 11 of those 43 countries without one. And then in Europe, the population about seven, uh, 741 million people, 48 countries, 577 Baptist missionaries, still 15 of those 48 countries without one. And then the Middle East, the worst Numbers, statistics of them all, 545 million people. 545 million people, 28 countries, only 14 Baptist missionaries. 19 of those 28 countries without one. As we look at this, we see that the harvest is great. The fields are white already to harvest. Jesus said that there will never be a more appropriate or important time than now, because also, say not ye there yet four months. Time is short. We don't know how much longer we have to do this work. Though, as you said, there will never be a more appropriate or important time than now to take part in this harvest or to be a laborer in God's fields. From here on, in fact, the task will not, uh, it will not only not grow easier, but it, in fact, it will grow more difficult. As we could look around the world at this point, and uh, with the things that are going on, we, we probably have the greatest excuse that mankind has ever had to not do this work that we've been called to do. It would be very easy to right now sit back and say, well, let's wait and see how things play out. Or we'll, we'll wait and see if things are a little bit more open in the next three or four months, or the, in the next year, or however long. But we, Jesus said, say not ye, there are yet four months. We don't know how much more time we have, and the world will only become more, or the, the task will only become more difficult as the, the Bible says that the hearts of men wax worse and worse. 
As that happens, we'll see the world become more desperate. This is the time to take part in this harvest. So thirdly and briefly, I challenge you to pray for laborers. As we read in Luke 10 and verse 2, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. I heard one uh, preacher preaching on that specific verse, and as he was sharing on it, he, uh, he reminded everybody there, he said, you, we as believers, and especially you as a church, typically uh, you share prayer requests with one another. You, when uh, there's some burden that you have for something, or you, there's a hardship you're going through, you, you share with your fellow church family the, those prayer requests. Here in Luke 10 and verse 2, he pointed out that we have a prayer request from our Savior. As he said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth more laborers into the harvest. So as we look at this and we pray for laborers, we need to, we need to be praying for those that are doing the work. Praying, praying for your pastor, praying for the, the missionaries that you support, praying for uh, God's laborers all around the world, but also pray ye therefore... Pray that there would be more men and women that will answer this call into the harvest. Pray that there will be more that will take up this challenge that God has given to us. I challenge you to pray for planters and waterers as both are necessary to the gospel and to this harvest. As we said, you don't get a harvest without sowing a seed. And the seed that is sown is the word of God according to Luke chapter 8 and verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Very Simple, very clearly put there. And that seed is sown every time that his word is truthfully preached or spoken or shared in a testimony. And then it is uh, watered by further ministry and patient teaching and prayer. We need to pray that there will be more who will take up this task. And then also we need to be praying for builders. That these, uh, pray for these workmen that will use their God-given gifts to help build up a body of Christ. And pray for uh, pastors and other uh, teachers and preachers and counselors, musicians, singers, uh, just church workers, servants, who will use whatever ability God has given them to help and enable their pastor as he leads them, as God directs. All those would be builders. We pray for those that will seek to uh, build up individuals, as I believe was mentioned this morning. Uh, they would disciple others, that they, they, as Colossians 2 and verse 7 uh, tells us that, to, that they would be rooted and built up in Him, speaking of Christ, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. We need more men and women who will seek to be the disciples or the disciplers that will bring others alongside of them, that they, that they wouldn't just bring them to the saving knowledge of Christ and then leave them out there in the world, but that they would bring them into the fold, and that they would be established in the faith, that they would be rooted and built up in Christ. And as we see that accomplished, we will see God's churches being built up. Ephesians 4 and verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. You know, I was, I was thinking on this, the, the, the building of God's churches, and we have the promise of perpetuity. We, we know that not all of God's churches will die out until His return. However, I think 
too often there are many of us who, maybe not even realizing it, are just content with that existence rather than pushing forward, rather than striving, rather than, rather than building God's churches, rather than growing and being the light that He has called us to be, we're happy with just being. We need more who will take up this challenge and seek to be a part of building God's churches, that we would see it moving forward. And fourthly and finally, I challenge you personally, enter the harvest. May be faithful in winning souls both at home and abroad at the same time as Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria to the uttermost part of the earth. Now I claim that Papua New Guinea is the uttermost part of the earth. It's basically the opposite side of the globe. Um, as we look at that, in Acts 1 and verse 8, we see essentially two commands. One, ye shall be witnesses. He didn't say you could be or you can be or you might be if I decide that that's what I want for you to do. He said, ye shall be. It is a command that every one of us should take personally, that we are to be witnesses unto him throughout the world. And personally to those that we, we, we meet. So when it needs to become a priority and not just a matter of convenience. Now, uh, Hudson Taylor was a pioneer missionary to China. He, uh, told the story, uh, or he told the story once of a friendly young Chinese man who went by the name of Peter. And, uh, they were traveling together on a native junket. It's a flat-bottomed sailing vessel. And uh, Peter is acquainted with the gospel. He, he, he's friendly, at least, if not friends with Hudson Taylor. He knows the message that he preaches, uh, but he's never yet called on Christ as Savior himself up to this point. And so as they're traveling together from Shanghai to Ningpo, uh, Hudson Taylor goes into this uh, small cabin on the boat to look over uh, the tracks he's planning on passing out and uh, what he's planning on preaching and so as he's in there, he then hears a splash and a cry as if somebody had gone overboard. And so he rushes back out to see if uh, he can be of any assistance. And he's, he steps out there. He doesn't see Peter anywhere. And so he asks the other men working on the boat as they're just continuing about their business if they know what happened. And they say, seemingly un- completely unconcerned, they say, oh yeah, he went down over there. So Hudson Taylor goes over to the spot and he looks, he doesn't see Peter anywhere, he calls out for him, there's no response. And Then he, spe- uh, he spies some fishermen a little ways off in a small boat fishing with a dragnet. And he calls for them to come and to drag the spot uh, that was indicated and shouting to them that a man is drowning. And the response to him is, meaning, it is not convenient. He shouts back to him. He says, don't talk of convenience. Quickly come or it will be too late. He says, their response is, we're busy fishing. He says, never mind your fishing. Come only at once. I will pay you well. They say, how much will you pay us? He says, five dollars only. Don't stand talking. Come without delay. He says, that's too little. We will not come for less than thirty dollars. 
Hudson Taylor goes on to tell him that he didn't have $30, but he gave him everything he had, which was about $14. And they decide that they would do it for $14. And on the, as they come over to the spot, the first passing of the net through the spot that was indicated, they bring up the man's body. However, all of Mr. Taylor's efforts in bringing these men over and then in seeking to revive Peter were for naught. There's too much time had been lost, all because those who might have easily saved the man's life were indifferent. Simply put, they did not care enough. Hudson Taylor related this story to a large audience of Christians who were shocked by the indifference and the selfishness of these heathen fishermen. Mr. Taylor had another point to make in sharing the story as he goes on to say, Is the body then of so much more value than the soul? We condemn those heathen fishermen and we say that they were guilty of the man's death because they could easily have saved him and did not do it. But what of the millions whom we leave to perish and that eternally? Or what of the plain command, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Now this story challenges us that convenience is not the word to be used when it comes to winning souls. For doing something when it was convenient, we could easily find ourselves saying, as the fishermen did in the story, that we are too busy. We, we have something else going on. It's been suggested by one preacher that what we really mean when we say we're too busy for anything, really, but when we say we're too busy, what we really mean is either, A, we don't see the need, or B, we don't care about the need. Those of us who have called on Christ as Savior, and as I said, we at some point recognized what our need was. And there were many here at the start of the service who said at that time that they recognized their need and they called on Jesus Christ as Savior. Those of us who have done that, we recognized our need. We thereby know what the need of everybody else who has not yet called on Christ as Savior is. If we are not faithful to seek to be a part of fulfilling their need, if we are not faithful in being the witness that he, we have been called to be, then our testimony truly is we don't care about the need, or at least we don't care enough about the need. I'm sure every one of us that would say that we do care. We, we, nobody wants to see somebody else spend an eternity in hell. So do our actions show that we care? Are we faithful to be the witness that he's called us to be? The second thing we saw in Acts 1 and verse 8, is very briefly, is that, as he says, ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. That both is at the, at the same time. He didn't say, do this, and then this, and then this, and then this. He said both. Right now, take the gospel throughout the whole world. And Romans 10, verse 15, as we looked at uh, this morning, how shall they preach except they be sent? And as it continue on, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You know, there are no better tidings in the world that could possibly be brought, sent, or shared than tidings of the Savior of the world. He who was born of a virgin, who lived a perfectly holy and sinless life, who 
died for the sins of mankind on the cross of Calvary and rose again the third day according to Scriptures, all so that man might be redeemed to God. That is the greatest message we could share with anybody. We need to all then be willing to pray Isaiah's prayer, here am I, send me. God's still asking the same question he asked in Isaiah 6 and verse 8. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? So what is your response to that question? Are you willing to say, here am I, send me? The main thing what I've been talking about here is kind of more of a full-time service. It is that full-time labor in the harvest. But that's not the whole picture of this. This harvest is all around us. And every one of us have been called to be a laborer in it. As I ask the question, will you answer the call to the harvest? It's not really a question of whether or not you're supposed to, or whether or not you've been called to be a part of it, but whether or not you will obey the call that He has put on your life. At the very least, every one of us should be willing to say, Lord, here am I, and send me to my neighbors. Send me to my co-workers, send me to the friends that I have that I know have not yet called on Christ as Savior. Lord, here am I, send me, let me be a laborer in your harvest. As I said earlier, the enemy of the harvest is short-sightedness. The fact that Jesus said, uh, lift up your eyes, shows us how easy it is to have our attention drawn to the things mentioned earlier, whether it be the, uh, the sinful, vain pursuits of this world, or it be a a care of this life that we have difficulty placing into God's hands, whatever it is, it's easy for us to have our attention drawn to these things and forget the bigger picture. Every one of us may then be guilty of being so absorbed in our own personal circumstances that we fail to see the harvest as Jesus saw it. Might need to ask ourselves then, where is my focus? Am I being short-sighted or have I lifted up my eyes to really see the harvest? Or do I share Christ's burden for a lost and dying world? I would challenge you to start living for eternity rather than tomorrow. And to make God's values your values. And God values nothing more in this world than the souls of men and women. As I said earlier, that as a child of God, our highest priority in life is to glorify God. That is what we've been recreated to. This is the primary way in which we glorify Him. It's by being the witness that He's called us to be. is by lifting up Christ before all men. I'll share a quick story with you and we'll be done. There's a young, successful American businessman who sat in a missions conference in his home church, a Baptist church, and he listened to the missionary pleading with God's people to pray the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth laborers and to his harvest. This man went forward to the altar to pray, and I, I've spoken with him, and uh, he told me on how uh, he personally had actually longed to be a missionary. He, he wanted to do that work, but he never felt that God had called him, nor did he feel that he was uh, the most capable candidate, or even a capable candidate. He told me how he'd, he'd look around the room, and he'd look at other uh, young couples, or other young men, and he'd uh, point them out to God in his mind, and be like, they'd be great serving on this field, or, or they'd be great doing this work. And this time, as he goes forward to pray, he's unable to pray further 
for laborers to answer this call as the question comes to his mind and heart, what about you? He tried again to pray that God would send laborers into the great and needy fields of the world, but again was unable to pray as the question hung heavy in his heart, what about you? So he concluded he would never be able to pray this prayer again until he answered the call himself. And so he told the Lord, if you want me, I'll go wherever you send me at any cost. He ultimately ended up selling his business and he became a missionary to Africa. And he and his wife went on to start 37 churches. Sometimes I think people are afraid to pray, here am I, send me. Because they're afraid that God might exact too much from them. Or that they would be called upon to sacrifice more than they're willing to give. We have to remember our Savior gave all for us. So what are you willing to give back for Him? If you ask the man in that story if he had any regrets, he'll tell you that the greatest work in the world is the harvest of God's fields. Sometimes I think people are afraid to pray, here am I, send me, because what if God actually decided to send them? So as we close, I ask you, what about you? Will you answer the call unto his harvest? Will you be a faithful laborer in God's fields? Where is your focus? Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, I do thank you again for your goodness. We thank you most of all for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. Lord, I pray that we would never take that for granted, but knowing that and knowing the need of the lost and dying world, that we would take seriously this challenge, that we would be the the witness that you have called us to be. Lord, if there are any here that still have not yet called on Christ as Savior, then pray that they would do that tonight. But then, pray that every one of us that have, we would search ourselves and see if we've been faithful to what you have called us to do. I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.